0: Hey, what's up guys, and welcome into episode 17 of the Landscape Photography Show. On this podcast, we have one of my good friends and a very special guest to me, John Barclay. And John is somebody who is just a good person to be around. Like, you know those people who, who like give out positive vibes all the time and just like meet you where you're at and help you through that process and really get you going. Getting back into it. I remember the first time I spoke to John. I was actually recording a video interview with him and I was sitting in a Starbucks parking lot bumming their free Wi-Fi internet because I didn't have internet at the time and which is a story in and of itself, but after that talk, you know, I was really in a creative rut. and, and most photographers are totally happy to like sit down with you and, and take some time or even email you to help you through something that you're going through at that time. Mine was a creative rut. But John went the extra step. After we talked, he actually sent me, A book that he frequently goes through and uses to help him with creativity and photography and getting out of creative ruts. So John is somebody who I know after listening to this podcast, you're really going to take away a lot from it and implement some of the things that he says while we discuss contemplative photography. So here, I I don't even want to talk too much before this. I just want to jump right in because this is like advice gold that you're going to hear right now. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better Photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, we're here with John Barclay. John, you just got back from kind of like a therapeutic photography retreat. And I want to jump in with that right away just because I want to get your take on how that is beneficial to somebody who loves photography Uh, and even right now when I feel like so many photographers struggle with their enjoyment of the creative process or maybe have a creative block, how, how does a photography retreat benefit them?
1: Well, that's a good question. First, thanks for having me. It's, it's fun to be chatting again. You know, I see all the other folks that you have, in this podcast, and I'm honored to be part of the group that you're inviting to speak. And I'm happy you're asking about this because you know I I lead like what might be, I guess, term you know traditional workshops most of the time. But um, this contemplative photography retreat happened, um, kind of by luck or by by happenstance, and I think it's it's worth maybe. Sharing the story of how this came to be, and then it'll indirectly answer the question. does that would that work? Absolutely. Perfect. Okay. So I was invited to go out to Hawaii to be part of uh, some workshops that DeWitt Jones and Ricky Cook uh, and others have been doing out there on the island of Molokai. And so I was partnering with Jonathan Kingston, who's a current National Geographic guy. A wonderful wonderful guy. And I was invited to co-lead along with him. And one of the students was a gentleman named Flint Sparks. Now, come on, that's a great name. You got to agree with that, Flint Sparks. And it's perfect. It's a perfect name. And and so here's what happened and that, that sets up how this whole thing came to be. We're out on the lawn and he's saying, John, I know I'm supposed to show 10 images tonight in in the opening night, and I'm just scared to death because I've had a camera for six months. And I, you know, here I am with all these photographers, and I'm just a little overwhelmed. You know, I'm a Zen priest. I teach mindfulness and meditation. I'm a a a psychotherapist uh, for a living. And, you know, this is all very new to me. And I said, Flint, don't worry about it. This is a celebration. This is not a competition. We're just sharing images that will help us understand who you are, right, and how you see the world. And so we calmed him down. And sure enough, we get in there. and People are showing their images that evening. And now it's time to show Flint's images. And the first image comes up. And, David, there's a gasp, an audible gasp. The second image is displayed there's a louder (gasps) gasp. Now, nobody else had received a gasp at this point, just Flint's images. Uh And by the third one, I mean, we're all just like mesmerized with how incredible these images are. Full of connection, composed perfectly. I mean, they're just incredible images. And so then the next day comes along, and we have what we call port sharing sessions at, uh, at these retreats. And we're having dialogue about why we photograph and and so forth. And and Flint starts entering into those conversations and, and sharing poems from Mary Oliver off the top of his head and things like this. And I'm just kind of blown away, but I'm still going back to what happened that first night. So how did this guy, who's had a camera for six months, create these extraordinary images full of connection? Mm-hmm. And so for three days, I sat there listening to him and realizing how deep of a human being he was, how when you when he spoke, man, you listened to what he had to say. But when I spoke, he listened to you in a way that I've never seen anybody else listen. I mean, just really connected in that experience, really focused on just you and when you were speaking, and that was with anybody in that room. And finally, about the third day later, I woke up out of a sleep because I was struggling. I was like, how the heck did that happen? I've been doing this for a long time. It took me (laughs) forever to make images like these. And I realized in the middle of the night and the next morning, I ran up to him and I grabbed him by his shirt and I shook him. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, Flint, Flint, I know, I know why. And he's going, what? Of course, he had no no idea I was even struggling with this. (laughs) But I really was. I was like, what on earth? I don't have anything to teach this guy. This is incredible. And what I realized is what I needed and what a lot of the people who come to my workshops were craving was what Flint had already done in his life. So Flint obviously he teaches mindfulness and meditation. He is a Zen priest. So he lives that life and has studied to become that. So guess what? He shows up to photography or to make photographs, I should say, in a very different place than I have been. So traditionally, in my mind, we show up and we go to photography workshops where you learn F-stops and shutter speeds and composition, yada, yada, yada. And here's a good opportunity. There's a good opportunity. But What Flint does is he just shows up and he's incredibly present and aware and then something catches him or captures him and then he makes a photograph of that. So he's so well grounded and so present and so aware and I said, man, I want some of that. I said, Flint, can we please partner together and do a workshop where you will teach photographers how to become more present and aware so hmm. they can show up in that attitude. So that's what we're that's the gift we're trying to give in a contemplative photography workshop is something deeper than F-stops and shutter. I mean, you can get that at a lot of places. You can get it online, you can get other workshops, and you can get it in my workshops, right? But how do we show up? That's really, I guess, the ultimate question. How, how do we show up as a photographer? How do we better connect our lives to our photographs? And we think that meditation, learning to be still, learning to be present, learning to be a little more aware, learning to, to love the world around us, learning to love people, believe it or not, all that stuff, right, affects us. Because if you go back to the masters like Ansel for instance, who said, you know, you essentially said you bring to the act of photography, you know, all the books you read, the music you've seen, the people you loved And I always like to go on and on and say, you know, the recent marriage, the recent divorce, the cat mm. you just had, to, you know, all that stuff affects you as you show up to make photographs. And that's what we're inviting you to do in a contemplative photography retreat. Step away from the workshop kind of format and retreat from that for a moment and be be open to this contemplative side of your life and mindful side of your life so that you can bring that with you as you go to photograph. What's the feedback you get from that? Because it has to be jarring for a lot of people that are unused to that <laughs> uh, great setting. Yeah, really good question. So as you can probably imagine from that question, the first time we did it, we're trying to come up with a balance. We And I, and I the photographer, am saying, well, Flint, we must have this many photography outings because they are photographers mm-hmm. and there's still the word photography in this offering. And of course, Flint is saying, but, John, they need more quiet time. <laughs> mm. they, they need more meditative time. They need practice time or integration time on some of the things that we're going to be teaching them. And so the first time we did it, that there was we we had way more photography and just a little bit, you know, of, of this new stuff that people might be uncomfortable with. It's really interesting. Um when we got to the last day they said, how come there's no meditation today? Formal meditation the year. <laughs> And so that was our, and we were like, well, because it's the last day, we figured, you know, we'd give you a break. And they said, no, we'd really like that. So that was year one, right? We've done this now f- six times. You know, the second time we said, okay, let's maybe add a little bit more integration time. And so here we are all the way to this year. By the third day, we still hadn't got a camera out yet and nobody cared. Mm. It was really interesting. Now I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, when we see their faces, <laughs> we can sense some anxiousness, right? And because it is a little different than what they're used to. But man, this group this year specifically, and I just got back less than a week ago, um, they were so invested in the process and became such a tight knit group so quickly, and realized what they and. I want to say, realize what they had gotten themselves into. Well, we're trying to be much more uh, specific in our language on the website, too, about what it is so that you're not coming and and it's something that you shouldn't have come to, right? it, It should be very clear that this is going to be something different. So the feedback has been incredibly heartwarming because we've had people coming back. I would say, let me see, this time we had three people who came back, one for their sixth time. You know, just wanting to come back as she says, I need this tune-up every year. I just need this every year. Um, And and others who say, I will be back. I can't wait to come back. So we're extremely grateful that people are, you know, opening up their soft underbelly and willing to give this an opportunity and a chance. That's got to be heartwarming for you and life-giving for you, though. Well, yeah, because... In all honesty, this this offering is more for your life than it is, well, how do I want to say? I want to be careful because it really is ultimately about our lives that we bring to the act of photography because that's what we do. You know, whether you want to have it the way Ansel puts it or the way other masters but or the way john barkley was to put it you know you or freeman patterson who i adore you know the, the idea of a mirror the camera points both ways what freeman talks about mm. well if you really believe that and i do wouldn't it be helpful if you if you had an opportunity to, to be part of an offering where you have someone like flint sparks who's you know a, a wonderful therapist but also a zen priest who can give us these practices and tools that allow us to go out as a photographer to become way more connected uh, with how we show up and what we offer to the process. And then thus those images that we're creating in a reflective back at us should be a little deeper than if we just show up and say, I want to make a technically sharp photograph because somebody told me this is where I should stand, that type of thing. Do you think like when you say words or
0: phrases or titles like Zen priest, mindfulness, meditation, (laughs) do you think there's a stigma attached to those things right now in culture? Because you say those words and automatically people may think, you know,
1: well, this dude's just like a far out. Hippy, <laughs> Yeah, probably. I mean, because I probably had that same feeling too. But again, you get you get around Flint and you realize he's he's probably one of the most incredible human beings I've ever met, uh, soft-spoken and quiet. And so, yeah, and, and so those are some of the things we were concerned about. I am no longer concerned about because there, we had two people show up this time who said that was the main attraction was like, seriously, someone who's a Zen priest – and photography in Molokai and both. Oh, by the way, there's a couple of National Geographic guys who are going to be part of this too. And they're all excited about that combination. So I I guess there's a stigma, but I'm not too worried about it anymore. Mm, That's good. Mm -hmm.
0: Are we, do you think we're in kind of like a photography renaissance right now in terms of technology uh, information, social connectivity that's been going on so much in the past few years, almost so fast that you can't even keep up with it hardly, of being consumed by expectations of sharing an image every single day, focusing on analytics, growing your your brand, as I make finger quotations <laughs> yeah. in the air. Are we in a renaissance right now coming out of that and trying to connect back with the creative side of photography.
1: It sure feels like that. I know you had Josh Cripps on recently, and I'm very fortunate that Josh has uh, allowed me to partner with him. And we do New Zealand trips together. And we're looking at a couple others, actually, and having discussions. And he and I have chatted about this in New Zealand recently. And, you know, he's changed kind of his style of teaching, at least in the field, realizing that, having to fill every day with technical knowledge is not necessarily what everybody needs or wants. And, and speaking to the social thing, I mean, I've just been off of social media for like the whole trip out there. I just don't, number one, I didn't have time. Number two, it didn't seem appropriate during a contemplative photography retreat. Right. Uh, And how refreshing it is to not have to be worrying about all those analytics and everything. I think it can, as, as fun as it is and educational as it is to share and be inspired by all those things, to me, it can be overwhelming. So yes, I would say there are a lot of folks who are feeling that overwhelmed. I've talked to many who are saying, you know, I'm just, I'm off of Facebook, or I'm, I'm only going to do Instagram, and I'm, I'm only going to do it you know, once a week versus every day. I hear that more and more because they're, they're just overwhelmed.
0: What was your experience being off of it?
1: I didn't miss it. Yeah, I didn't miss it at all. I really didn't. As a matter of fact, I felt somewhat relieved and I've struggled since I've been home to even want to get on. I posted an image yesterday because I felt like I had to, right? Mm. Because I am a professional photographer and I must post something to let the world know I'm alive and I'm a creative person, which I really don't, I don't like that feeling at all. I don't want to feel that way. I'd like to just share because I want to. I
0: think the natural question though that people would have is, or the maybe anxious feeling that people
1: would have is, is this is going to hurt my business. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's one of the benefits of being 62 years old. <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, I used to worry about that stuff a lot more. Um, I just don't think it will. I think, I think, you know, we operated without Facebook and and Instagram and people had businesses where they were leading photography workshops or doing whatever they were and they survived just fine. Um, So I guess I just don't worry near as much about that. And maybe it's also because I have a pretty loyal following that I'm grateful for and and a a large enough pool, I guess you could say, to draw from that we seem to fill up all our offerings, but I'm not going to lie. Yes, there is in the back of my mind, there's always the struggle of is should I, because of the business, you know, must I, but I'd rather also just be quiet or read a book right now too and and not do that. So it's a struggle, but I don't worry about it near as much as I used to. I just don't.
0: What are some of the links between emotions Mm -hmm. and the creative process of photography? (sighs) (laughs) It's
1: a meaty question. Yeah. So the links between emotions, like I kind of touched on it before, um, I wish I could show slides right now. There's, I, I do a presentation called dream, believe, create. And the one that's coming to my mind is I went to an old abandoned facility and was doing some photography there. And I saw some teddy bears in there, some kind of fresh teddy bears in there, but it was, this was quite a while ago, early HDR time. So I was playing with HDR. This has got to be 10, 12 years ago. And when I processed that image, it was you know, pretty happy and very bright HDR-ish. And then my friend said to me, you know, do you know what happened at that abandoned institution? I said, no, I have no idea. don't really even care, to be honest. I'm having a blast working on Lindsay Internet. She sent back another email and said, no, really, you need to read what happened here because it's pretty horrific. And so I did read about what happened. There was horrific abuse perpetrated on the children who were at this institution. Hmm. So, guess what happened? My feelings changed. My feelings changed from happy, cool, this was an awesome opportunity for photography, to kind of shame. How dare I be there and not notice these fresh teddy bears in tribute to these children who were killed, who were buried out back. I mean, who didn't have family who cared about them. It was horrific, David. And so my feelings changed because you're asking about how feelings, right? And so I had to go back and reprocess all those images because my feelings were different. It's a dramatic example that I use in a lecture because I don't think we're going to have quite that same reaction or that visceral maybe when we're out photographing a landscape or a tree, right, in a landscape, but I would say to you that if you're willing to connect with who you are as a human being and how you're feeling in that moment or what the nature experience is presenting to you and you're you're willing to just slow down long enough to connect with that experience that your photography will indeed have been changed or affected by that and your composition may be different your the way you process that image might be different. Be, because of connecting to those emotions or, or those feelings. So I do think it matters. It just might not be as visceral of, a, of an example as I'm showing in those two slides of a bright, happy one to a pretty darkly processed one with even some words attached to it, you know, in tribute to those kids. But I do think as, as a, like I can only share from my own experience as I go out and as I quiet myself and as I do what, flint gives us as a great example by the way in meditation he talks about gap it's a great thing to remember grounded aware present and it's a great thing for and i use it all the time i'm out in the field and i'm in that frantic hectic moment where i'm not slowing down at all and i remember those words and i start to say okay i need to ground myself here i need to become more aware and i need to become more present of what's going on slow myself down and now connect to those feelings of what i'm having in that moment and try to have that come out through my photography. I just want to
0: pause real quick and talk about today's sponsor for this podcast. The sponsor is visualwilderness.com. Visual wilderness is a place where you can go online and subscribe for a monthly subscription. It's just really, really cheap. If you think about all the resources that you get with your monthly Payment you get all the courses that are on there for free. You get all the article content Just tons of information that you can use to help you improve your photography even get you thinking a little bit differently and and try to break through any creative ruts or problems that you're going through You can get any of my courses that are on Visual Wilderness right now for 33% off for a limited time if you use the code David33 during checkout. Again, that's David33 during checkout. Any of my courses for a limited time, 33% off. If you want, to find the links on how to get to those or, or how to access the courses, or just how to explore visualwilderness.com for a little more information for yourself, you can go to today's show notes for the podcast at slash podcast barclay But now let's get back to the episode. You just mentioned the gap phrase. Uh, and we've also been talking about mindfulness and meditation. I think the natural next question for me would be, how do you practice mindfulness and add that to your photography? And I know, look, this is a podcast. It <laughs> may be an hour long, it, you know, maybe a crash course would be best. Cause that's a long
1: conversation. Yeah, it really is. Ultimately, gap is probably the best takeaway, right? That that if mm-hmm. you if you can remember to be grounded and you know you're connected to this chair, which is connected to the earth, you know you're grounded. I here I am in this place. You know, become aware of you know what's around you, what's going on, the smells, the birds, the, all that stuff. Uh, and then, are you present? Meaning, are you really there? Are you connecting with that? So. So, mindfulness really is, we can make it a lot deeper than it really is. But in this regard, and what we're trying to have a conversation about here and what we do in this particular offering, really just trying to get people to slow down and be mindful in all parts of their lives, whether it be with this interaction with you, whether it be with your family, whether it be. you know, picking up garbages you come across. I mean, whether it's how we go out in nature first principles in my mind are part of being mindful, right? You're mindfully aware that we are fortunate and blessed to be able to go photograph in these locations. We should leave them better than how we went into them. You know, those types of things are all part of mindful practices. And certainly, with that if you can take some time for meditation however that might be some people call it prayer some people call it meditation some people call it just sitting still it, it, it shouldn't be something where there's a stigma attached to whatever that is but finding that quiet time to to meditate and there's apps actually out there headspace is a great app that mm-hmm. people can use right to help guide them in in a meditation uh, if they're open to the these types of thoughts and it's funny you mentioned that app i've been
0: using it now i'm on a solid streak of 4 days in a row excellent you know, yep. just starting it up but the idea of mindfulness in photography like from my own experience is i i get better photos that i'm happier with before i share them with the world so the value of them is not connected to or determined on like shares, comments, all of that stuff. And and if somebody does comment and make like, you know, the comment of great photo uh, that becomes secondary and it doesn't even validate that photo for me. It becomes secondary in my enjoyment of the image that my perception of what was going on around me, even if it is just, you know, a tree in the middle of a field that was lit really nicely. But behind the scenes in that idea of mindfulness, I may have 20 other photos that I'm not even sharing that I can go through and look back at and remember, okay, this was a crisp fall morning. I can feel the the mist coming off of the field and the fog evaporating. I can feel the warm sun of the morning uh, I can hear the birds around me. All those things kind of go into the enjoyment of an image. And and I was actually working on something before we started talking, John, a project that I'm doing of, of the of my favorite photos from the past decade mm, since wow. 2020 just started. Um, and it it was funny to me how the majority of those images that I chose – have uh, an event attached to them or a feeling attached to them that I went out and made. That's not, I went to location X in Iceland and just took the same composition as everybody else.
1: Yeah. Wonderful. Well, you did a much better job than I did about sharing, you know, mindfulness. That's, that was wonderful. Uh, It brought to mind one story. We were in Acadia. And my wife and I are. This is our business together. And she was working with a, a student, and who was struggling a little bit. Oh my gosh, I just am not finding anything here. And and she saw my wife, who was not photographing at the moment, had her camera on a mm-hmm. tripod, but was just standing on that wonderful boardwalk, Surdamont. Sort of and um, and and she could see that she was struggling. And she looked at Kathy. And she said, "What are you doing?" And she says, "I'm just enjoying, you know, being present here at this moment." And any you of know, the customers was kind of like, Okay. She says, No, really. She <laughs> says, Really, just just be quiet here for a minute with me. Just listen. Listen to the birds. And the gal said, The birds, I don't hear any birds. She says, No, no, just stop. Listen. And sure enough, she goes, Oh my gosh, there's like a zillion birds. Mm. She hadn't even heard them, right? And I think that's very illustrative of you know, photographers go out with this mission of what am i going to take rather than what am i going to receive what am i going to be given and you know i heard the podcast with sarah and she's talking about you know this similar idea i forget her language specifically about what she calls which wandering around isn't it what she calls it wandering around mm-hmm. um and, and my good friend, Cole Thompson, who I do some workshops with, he and I will be in Death Valley coming up, you know, brilliant black and white photographer. And he does photographic celibacy where he doesn't want to look at anybody else's images because he, he he wants to arrive and just photograph whatever he's taken by. I think about Ricky Cook, who is the owner of the property that we use in Molokai, where we do the contemplative photography retreat. And he's a 30-year national or 22-year, I think, National Geographic photographer and his phrase during our session is always you know I'm more interested in what's going on before I trip the shutter that's mm-hmm. what that's and here's a guy who's been on assignment for national geographic for 22 years yet when he talks with incredible passion to this day he's still way more interested in what's going on before I trip the shutter isn't that amazing mm-hmm. and and he has a little saying he says whatever turns your head, you must stop and make a photograph. Whenever you say, wow, you must stop and make a photograph. Training yourself so that you're aware of those moments that are taking your breath away. That's Mm. what you should be paying attention to. Not going out and searching for that to happen, but just being present in this meditative state, if you will, or just in this quiet state, whatever language is comfortable for you, but allowing yourself to be taken and being aware of that. And so that exercise of that we give to people that whatever you say, wow, and it's funny because it comes a joke, right? As we do go out and photograph during the week and somebody goes, wow, we go, okay, got to make a photograph, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and the point is it doesn't need to be a good one. Matter of fact, we, we get rid of that language. I don't want to hear good and bad because that's irrelevant in that process. What's important is the training yourself to pay attention to wow, That's critical so that you can start being taken more and more and more. And so how do we get taken by wow? That goes back to the mindfulness practices, right? Of showing up in what Ricky would say, neutral. How do I show up in neutral with no expectations, no wanting, no gaining, no grasping for anything other than here I am, what can I be taken by? isn't that a much different place than I am going to go to photo pills and I'm going to map out the next three years of my life and I'm going to show up for the sun, go right through the hole of that arch at this time of the year. Look, I have great admiration for people who can do that. It's not me. <laughs> yeah, It's just not how I operate, nor do I want to. It, I, again, I want to be really clear. I have admiration for those who do because their images are extraordinary, right? But for me personally, I'm okay that that's not going to happen for me. What I'm much more comfortable and where I'm happiest is showing up in neutral as best as I can and working on that part of my life so that I can be taken by whatever moment is given to me. Because the one I like to you know, go to Sparks Lane in the Smoky Mountains and you've seen my image of the great fog between those two great trees and, and you show up and there's no fog. What do you do? Turn around go home? I hope not. (laughs) You're in the Smokies in a beautiful situation and you got gold light. It's the first light of the day. So there's no fog. You're still going to photograph, right? Yeah. You're still going to be taken. So, but it's amazing how many people struggle, right, David? They they show up and they go, oh man, it's not anything like what you had. Well, no, it's better right now. Yeah. 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 And even that sparks
0: Lane. It is somewhere that I've been pl- like plenty of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I remember the last time I went was in August. I mean, the Smoky Mountains in August is a time that you do not want to go. Oh my because, gosh, there's
1: 3,000 cars on on the loop. Yeah, and 3,000 <laughs> degrees with 100%
0: humidity <laughs> in the air. And it's just a brutal like condition to be in. And I went there at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon Uh, And I was the only car on that Sparks Lane, which shocked me. Wow! But there were also some of the horses that they had uh, let out to kind of roam around in that middle section of Kids Cove. And they were all kind of just gathered in front of those trees. And I mean, I probably spent a good hour and a half just standing there by myself in this experience of what most people would consider terrible lighting But being in that moment and being present and noticing the things going on around me helped me connect with that scene. And and there are no photos that I've ever shared from that, but I see them on my own hard drive. And, you know, it
1: brings a smile to my face when I go back and look at those. Right. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if we did photography so that every single one of our photographs that we ever click, you know, trip the shutter on was perfect. My gosh, how boring would that be? it's a process, right? It's a process that we must go through to get to an end, I guess, and that end might be a great photograph. But I, I like, you know, DeWitt Jones, when he talks about, it, he says, look, I I just love the process of going out and making photographs. And, you know, and if the residue is a good photograph, great, that's really good residue. That's awesome. Right? <laughs> right? That's really great. But if it's not, you know, DeWitt would say, I'm totally happy. Heck, I was out, you know, on Papahaku Beach on Molokai all by myself. and so I didn't get a good photograph, but oh my gosh, I was out on Papahaku Beach on Molokai. I mean, not many people go there. It's a cool beach. From your experience teaching all of this, is
0: this something that kind of span all religious or personal beliefs as well?
1: You know, really good question, because that was probably my biggest worry, honestly. Uh-huh. It really was. Uh, I We needed this to not be religious in any way, shape, or form. And Flint and I, before we did our first offering together, um, had a, a talk about that, and he agreed 100%. And obviously, because of where he comes from and his training, he's going to be quoting things that and offering thoughts from Buddha and so forth, right? But he does it in a very... Soft, gel- gentle, delicate way, and is always throughout all of our conversations throughout the week. It's always very. We're trying to make it neutral, right? To be whatever um, God you worship or whatever uh, religious practice you you bring. It's it should not be part of this discussion. Religion really is not part. It's more. How about this? It's really, and I think it's what we say on our website. We we call it photography as a spiritual practice. And in my mind, spiritual is a good word because spiritual, in my mind, really doesn't. It, it can be part of religious feelings and thoughts, right? But it does. It's not connected. Doesn't have to be connected to religion in any way, shape, or form. I know many, many spiritual people who don't profess to have any religious belief. So spirituality, or, or. Getting again back to that, that little sub phrase that we put, which is photography as a spiritual path. That's really what we're inviting you to do.
0: Is that hard for people to connect to? Because even in religious practices, whatever those are, um, you hear the word spiritual or spirit, and people are like, "Whoa, that's a little, it's a little out there, man. I'm, I don't really subscribe to that."
1: Uh again, you know, the people who are coming, I think are, right. are kind of aware of what spirituality might be in the spiritual, they might be a spiritual person or searching for spirituality in their life. But yes, David, you know, it goes back to, that was one of the uncomfortable feelings that we, uh, I probably was wrestling with more than, than Flint was. Uh, I just was concerned about how it would be perceived. And, you know, going in to do formal meditation, but we don't. I mean, really, it yes, it's a yurt that happens to be on the property where more formal meditation is done, but you can sit on the floor, you can lay down on the floor, you can sit on a chair, you can sit on a cushion, you can sit in a formal lotus position, whatever you want, right? It's And Flint guides you through this in a very simple, simplified manner. So this is this is meditation 101, you know, it's kindergarten <laughs> uh, for people who have never, never done it before. But again, mm-hmm. as you might expect, half of the people that were there this trip meditate regularly in their life anyway. So this fit very nicely into their life. And it's a natural extension of adding it to photography.
0: Well, what does like your traditional workshop look like when you are, not doing the mindfulness practices and you are in, in locations where most people want to go shoot.
1: Yeah, well, it is photography f- focused, obviously. It's all photography focused. However, my first lecture, guess what? It weaves in some of these these dialogues. So I want them to understand that that's who I am and that's the way I'm going to present, right? I, I'm not, I, yes, I can talk about f-stops and depth of field and all that stuff. And I'm happy to do that and I do it all the time. But what I'm much more interested in is that other side. And so they know that right up front with my little presentation that's a 15, 20-minute presentation about how are we going to show up together this week, how are we going to work together. So it's not just, hey, we should be mindful of other people photographing and don't get in their way. It's way deeper than that. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm giving them kind of some tenets, if you will, of how we are good human beings in this workshop. And also, you know, don't bring your fears and certainties and your doubts or, you know, they're going to be there, but don't allow them to take over this week. You know, be a little more open to being taken by things. So it's a dumbed down version of maybe what we do, but it's certainly that first day, that first session, they very clearly understand what my style is. And most of them know what my style is because a lot of I have tons of repeat customers. And so then throughout the rest of the week, yes, we're photographing. But as we're photographing, I don't do much photography. I'm coaching. I'm doing exactly what I shared with you before. I'm going over and reminding them, hey, you're chasing right now. I can see you chasing and grasping. Stop grasping. Just be okay. Don't make photographs right now. You're at Steptoe freaking Butte in the Palouse right now. Look Mm -hmm. at this. It's incredible. Just stop it's okay. And then they take a deep breath and they slow down and I get them right back on track. And then 10 minutes later, I go, look what I found. So that's my style, but it is photography focused. Is it, is it hard for you to coach though? When, when you
0: do see something that great in front of you to kind of just put the camera down
1: and and work with other people in that sense? You mean like if to, to, because I want to get my own photograph, yeah, Sometimes you have to. Oh gosh. Yes, absolutely. It's horrifically difficult, <laughs> but you know, in the back of my mind, Nancy Rotenberg was my mentor. I think we've spoken about her before <clears throat> and just an incredible woman who unfortunately succumbed to cancer back in 2011. And she's the one who forced me to go teach workshops. She said, you were born to do this. You just don't know it yet. That was her exact phrase. And I reluctantly said yes to that first one that I took over for her. And so I called her back like three weeks after. And I said, so help me. What do I do? I'm total, I'm so scared and frightened about this experience. And she was the one who said, John, your job is not to be the best photographer. It's to be a coach. It's, a, it's to be that guy who kicks him in the pants once in a while and says, yeah, you can do this. Of course you can do this. And so I firmly realized that. And then the other thing Nancy said was, "You remember they're giving themselves a gift in coming to be on this event with you. Mm. It's your job to make sure it's the best gift they've given themselves. Mm. Man, that resonates in the back of my brain all the time. So as I go to make a photograph of my own camera in the back of my mind, I'm going, wait a minute, this is being selfish. Am I making sure to honor the gift that they've given themselves? So here's where I finally gotten to. I will actually ask permission. Hmm. I do. So I'll say I'll be teaching, te- and I'll go, guys. This is so good. Is it okay if I get a camera? And every single time, it without it, without hesitation. Oh gosh, absolutely. But I feel so much better that I've asked permission. Yeah. Rather than just do it, because I've heard too many horror stories of workshop leaders who don't. They just, I mean commonly the, I hear, man, he was there just to get his own images for a stock portfolio. I mean, that type uh-huh. of thing. And that that makes me wince because that's not, that's not what we as workshop leaders should be. That's not what should be being said about us, right? It should be that, man, that was the best experience I've ever had. He was so committed to making sure I had a good time. That's what we should be doing.
0: I'm interested for you personally, like we've talked about you teaching a lot of people, but yeah for you in your own photography what's kind of the
1: driving force or forces behind that um you know when if you're asking why do i photograph is, is that essentially what the question is basically okay cuz that's a good question cuz that that's one of the questions we're inviting people at this offering and quite honestly it's a question i ask at pretty much any offering i'm at that that's an important question that I think a lot of people don't ever think deeply about. Why do they photograph? Uh, for me, it feeds my soul. That's as clear as I can make it. I, I must photograph not to make a good photograph. I must photograph not to make something I can sell. I don't sell many prints. I do, but it's not something I focus on. Uh, if they happen, great. So for me, it feeds my soul. So it's, it's the, the, the journey of and process of creating photographs is way more important than the actual photograph for me so that's why i photograph you know, I don't know, i'll stop there for a second and let you lead this a little more cuz i i could go a million directions i'm not i'm not sure i want to <laughs> well <laughs> let's go with this
0: we've talked about healing and and using photography as a as a form of healing and mindfulness and connection for you in your own work, what are your experiences with that healing? And it could be a story. It could be just a general, you know, mindset workflow that you go through every single time you go out to shoot.
1: <sighs> Why do you ask these difficult questions, David?
0: Uh, it's just <laughs> the questions of life, man. My <laughs> wife asked me the exact same. She's like, Why?
1: Can't we just have
0: like a fun conversation over dinner? <laughs>
1: yeah. Why do you have to ask these deep questions? <laughs> um, so I'm trying to think of a, you know, a poignant story right off the top of my head of how healing, um, and the, and the one that's coming is really not about me. It's more of, um. Uh, I talked about EDI, which is a program you and I chatted about a friend of mine, Steve Koppel, who um, created this program. And it's really basically for folks who are going through traumatic life experiences or substance abuse and things like that. And and the one picture or image that he he shared in a blog post he put up that just really rings true about how powerful photography can be is a young man who was an addict and was cleaned up and in this program and he was in you know uh, a group session and never spoke a word they could never get him to say a single thing nothing for years and then they brought this new thing edi and where it's basically a, an ipad and you can make a photograph with that ipad and then you can process that very simply so it's really not about photography as much as capturing an image and they gave them these people the tools to do that handing them all these ipads they go out and they let this young man do that. He comes back and now they say, hey, do you want to share an image in the circle? And he raises his hand and says, yes, years mm-hmm. of saying nothing, nothing. Mm-hmm. And what does he do? He gets up and talks about how he took a picture of the steering wheel of a car and how this represents how he would get up in the middle of the night, go out and do drugs. So his parents didn't know, come back. And hang the keys up, and you know, sneak into bed, and parents never knew. But the and so that was a reminder for him. This photograph became a reminder. I wish I had an experience that visceral um, of how photography could. Sh- I could share that photograph with somebody and say, "That's what this this represents." For me, it's a little more subtle than that. I go back to you know, I photograph because it feeds my soul. Mm-hmm. So. So for me, photography in a, in a healing sense, and I find healing might be a strong in my case because uh, maybe that's not really the the full effect of what I'm receiving when I go out to photograph. But again, I what you know our our lives, we go back to the idea of where our lives are so busy when we're in the office and the desk and we're doing this thing and we're preparing for the next workshop and we're getting all this stuff in order and it's you you're frenetic, right? You're, And for me, going out in that process of photography is what slows me down, connects me, and heals me in that regard to get back to really where I want to be. Rather than this frenetic person running around um, trying to meet all these deadlines, photography is bringing me back to that solitude, that quiet space. Um, and, And I find that healing. Well, before we wrap up, I, I kind of,
0: I we've talked about so many deep things, um, and my main inclination is to, you know, lighten the mood. But I don't want to do that here because I want people to be thinking about their own photography after listening to this podcast. Um, what what is one thing? maybe that you say to people right when they show up, right when they're starting out with this, that could help them start walking this track of being mindful and having a connection
1: to their images? Um, probably, I mean, it's just so clear to me, to stop worrying about what everybody else thinks about your images put that aside as hard as that is because the human um, respond you know we want feedback we want to be uh, told that we're good right I mean that's so human and we want positive feedback but it can be so hurtful Uh, You know, we throw things out and we don't get likes and so forth. We need to stop worrying about seeking out all of those likes and all of that positive feedback and all stop worrying about what everybody feels about your photography and focus more on you by slowing down on the things that we've spoken about here and just make images that reflect you and how you're feeling about this connection that you're having with this subject. So the two things, stop worrying about what everybody else feels about what you're doing. You're where you are right now today, and that's enough. It's absolutely enough. So you don't understand depth of field. Great. Put it on P for perfect and forget about depth of field for the moment and just connect with those subjects that you're being drawn to and photograph them. All of the other stuff will come. It will come over time. When you're ready to figure out depth of field or open to that discussion, we can have that discussion. But most importantly, stop worrying about all of making a perfect photograph and just make photographs and enjoy the process. And all that other stuff will build upon that. So everybody who's who's listening, really take
0: those words. I would encourage you to think about them over the next few weeks and how it can pertain to your photography and try to implement them next time that you do go out and shoot and then think about how you feel after taking those images. And John, I just want to thank you for coming on being very open, even very vulnerable at times. Uh, yeah. And I know that's hard to do. So so thank you so much for coming on and talking to us.
1: You're welcome again. Thanks for, for having me. You know, you're right. It, it is a little vulnerable to talk about these things because it's so unlike some of the other podcasts you're doing. Uh, but I think it's important. And if we want to get to that next level in our photography, uh, these types of connections, I think, are the way we do that.